How are we doing? Are you guys feeling Christmas yet? Like, I feel like this week, the, the weather has changed. We've had some Christmas parties, I feel, in the Christmas spirit, and I'm ready to start shopping starting tomorrow. <laughs> like, I'm ready to go. Uh, I have been, I don't know about you, but I have been refreshed in this series. I think just even saying the word peace, I think is refreshing for my soul, especially in this time of season, this time of the year, and this time in our church's history, this time in our culture, this idea of like rest, harmony, uh, tranquility is something that is very attractive to me. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the peace on earth that we've been kind of unpacking for us and this announcement of when Christ came, the heavens opened up for the, the shepherds and they announced peace on earth. And we've kind of gone through uh, three dimensions of that peace. Paul started with this peace that happens between us and God, sinner and a holy God. And through the blood of a lamb, sinner and God, or sinner and God have been reconciled. Sinner has been washed. Debts have been forgiven. Reconciliation has happened. And now there is a shalom. There's a harmony and a tranquility in this relationship between us and God. And then the next sermon was about peace in mind and heart. We'd say peace with ourself. So anxiety, fear, shame, insecurity, that when perfect love comes into humanity through the Christ child, peace in our soul is attainable. Tyler last week talked about a different dimension of peace. That through forgiveness, as we've been forgiven by Christ, now we offer forgiveness to others, and we get to experience in the body of Christ and amongst our neighbors a peace, a shalom, a harmony with one another. I've been refreshed by hearing that. Today I'm excited. I, I talked to Jeremy and I said, how do you picture, like we're kind of bouncing ideas around for this sermon. But this is a different dimension of peace, and this is peace on earth. Peace between me and creation, between us and the world. And I asked Jeremy, I was like, how do you picture this thing going? He's, he said something that was really helpful for me as an athlete. He said, I feel like the first three sermons were about healing. It's like, I feel like you get to be coach. Because now you're sending us out into the world to be peacemakers, to be shalom bringers, to be the instruments that God is going to use to bring peace on earth. And so, but the athlete, the coach in me is excited about this message this morning. I, I was a college athlete, and I can remember when Jeremy said this about this like meeting with you as a coach to inspire you to action. I can remember the day I walked into my first meeting at Arizona State University, and I, I got the privilege to play baseball there. And we were in this dark room, and we had a coach they called Black Hat Pat. And he got that not because he was kind, <laughs> not because he was easy to work with, but he was like, he was a strong Irish street fighter that grew up boxing on the streets of Queens. Somehow he got into baseball. And now I'm in this dark room, it's completely quiet, nobody is talking to one another. And Black Hat Pat comes in and just begins to drill, identity. This is who you are now. 
you are not Johnny Juco, is what he called us from junior college. You know, you are not high school Harry. You're a sun devil. And he went on to unpack the legacy of people that have gone before us and the way that we grind harder. And this is hard for U of A fans to, to hear. I understand. Just insert sun devil for a wildcat and you'll be fine. <laughs> we grind harder. We train harder. We, we, we work harder. We master the game. And when you put on that uniform, you represent the legacy of this program called Arizona State. Well, that's kind of what I want us to do today. I'm gonna drive identity this morning. This is who the scriptures say that you are, and when you put on that uniform, we're sending you out onto the field to play and represent the Christ child, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, our Savior, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into this. Lord, we, we give you this time we're so thankful to be gathered as your people, the redeemed, those washed by your blood, your children, your beloved. Lord, the dwelling place of your spirit, that's us. We're so grateful to be together, and yet, Lord, we are longing for a new life. We are longing for you to take control. We are longing for you to fill us and compel us into the world we are longing for you to change our world. Lord, come, Jesus, in this moment, through your spirit, change us, convince us, encourage us, strengthen us, fill us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 700 years, let's just think about how long 700 years is, but 700 years prior to Christ's birth, this was said through the prophet Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, his kingdom, will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. This child that is born will be called Everlasting Father. He will be known as the Prince of Peace. And of his greatness, of his kingdom and of this peace, there will be no end. The coming of Christ in the advent that we celebrate is a part of a mission and purpose that God has laid out 700 years before Christ is born. And you're gonna see this morning that it goes even further back than that to the very beginning of a garden called paradise. And the original humans and their mission and purpose to bring peace on earth. I want us to think this morning about what that would look like. What would a world at peace look like? I think it's probably the longing of every human being at some level, if we asked our neighbors, even those that don't know Jesus, what kind of world do you want to live in? My guess would be one where Fathers love their children, that husbands love their wives, that wives respect and honor their husbands. Schools where teachers use creativity and love and compassion to grow and educate the next generation. 
where government sacrifices itself to serve the people, where there's justice, where there's holiness and righteousness, where the the way that we interact with one another is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We tend to, to, to console each other during tough times with the thought that our circumstances will turn around. Like this thing we're going through won't last forever. The New Testament writers actually point to this world where all things are made right as our hope. They're writing letters as martyrs themselves that are prepared to die and are in expectation of things not turning around in their life, circumstances not getting better, and yet they're writing letters to martyrs talking about peace, talking about joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Our promise as we go through difficult times is not that our circumstance will turn around, But the good shepherd, the shepherd from Psalm 23, will walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. He will be our protection. He will be our guide. He will bring us comfort until our true hope, a new world, a world remade, a world of peace with neighbor, with self, with God, and with creation. This is our hope. Now, I think it's important, I think I've already used it already, but I think it's important when we talk about peace to use this word shalom. Everyone say shalom. All right, we can start greeting each other. Uh, Neil will love this. If you start greeting each other with this Jewish greeting of shalom, this is the word for peace, but it, it's, it's much bigger, it's much deeper, it's much pr- more profound than like how our teens are like, Peace. Right, we hear that all the time. This is like, shalom is not like peace, okay? Shalom is a deep rest. It is a deep harmony. It is when all things are working together exactly how God has designed it. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue confessing Jesus Christ is Lord and living in harmony with one another. This is Shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom. You were made for shalom. This world was woven together and created for shalom. And God, through this child, is the only source for our peace on earth. I think the more I fall in love with the end of the story and this world that has been remade, the more I grieve the world that we actually are living in. The more I grieve relational conflict that I have, the more I grieve watching the news, and maybe it's the internet, and we get to see like all of the vandalization of Shalom all over the world. But whatever it is, I find myself grieving But the good news is, is the Savior is born, Advent is here, and the Savior is called the Prince of Peace, the King of Shalom. We use that word at my house a lot. My wife actually has a necklace that I gave her that says Shalom. 
and I used to say when I was raising my kids, if there was some moment in our house where it was like they were just on the verge of breaking out into a fight and somehow a miracle happened and the fight didn't and they yielded and they actually shared and loved one another, I would say that was kind of shalomish. <laughs> right there. That was, it was not fully shalom, but that was shalom-ish. That's the point in the biblical story that we're in. Shalom will come, and shalom has also entered into the world. We can experience it now-ish as, as a taste of what is to come. As Christ, the Prince of Peace, rules in this church, as we sing about his lordship and his rule and how we've been brought into his kingdom by the Son, through the blood, and as we submit to him, we should be able to see glimpses of shalom. This community and the way we love one another and the way we interact with the world should be, by the power of the Spirit, shalomish. You guys can start using that word. And as Christ rules in us, here's the thing, we get to participate in weaving together the world that was supposed to be. Before it was hijacked and perverted by sin, before things got twisted, the world that is supposed to be, we have been brought as the children of God with the role of reweaving together as salt and light a preservation of shalom, a promotion of the way that God intended things to be. And I'm gonna explain to us today in, through identities, three different identities, how three different ways that we bring peace and shalom into the world. Three ways. Through our good work, and by work I don't mean good works, I mean our work, our vocation, our going to work. The second one is uh, our good deeds, and the way that we live our life, and the third one is our good news, and we're gonna kind of unpack this. So I'm gonna start in Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is kind of like, I want to, I want to put you into that ASU or U of A meeting where we're learning our identity, and Paul in, in Colossians 3 is describing your baptismal identity, okay? This is for Christians. Those that have been united with Christ who've put to death the old life and have been raised to a new life in Christ, okay? Here's what Paul says in Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. I want you to set your hearts on the things above. What's happening up there? Where Christ is and where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your minds on those things above, not on the things below, the earthly things. For you have died to that old life, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This is the old life. 
And because of these things, the wrath of God is coming to earth. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived. But now, those of you who have been brought to Christ, you must also rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you have taken off the old self and its practices. Here's the picture. It's like you're removing the old jersey. Berger, you are no longer Johnny Junior College. Okay? You're removing your old practices of the old life and have been putting on a new self. We are putting on the new self. Okay, what about this uniform? It's being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, I'm not an English teacher, and in fact, it was probably my worst subject, but I think I remember something about when you put re in front of a word, what does that do? <laughs> Again, right? Am I right, teachers? Can I get like, Jordan, can you give me snaps if that's right? Okay. <laughs> All right, renewed. We are being made, those of you that have been brought to Christ, you are being made new again. What does that mean? Then says you've been renewed in knowledge as not just like intellectual knowledge. We know that knowledge puffs up and can lead to arrogance. This is personal knowledge. As we know God, like you know your spouse, like you know your best friend, like you know your parents, as you know God, God is renewing you into the image of the creator. Now, when we hear image of creator, we think like, yes, Christ-likeness. As we get to know God, God is reshaping us into the image of Jesus. We start to look like Jesus. That's true. By the Holy Spirit, that's called sanctification. That's happening in us. But these listeners, these readers would have heard image of God. And there is something that comes with image of God that is both a privilege and a responsibility. This is the point where we, we send you out into the world where you have a vocational calling, where you have mission and purpose. Teens today are asking three questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what is my purpose on earth? And we're gonna go back to the very beginning of scripture to find the answers to those questions. Who we are, where do we belong, and what is our purpose on earth? Let's go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, the beginning of the story, man and woman are in the garden. God says this. Sorry, back up. They're not there yet. Genesis 1.26. <laughs> Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Mankind in the likeness of God, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals, over all of the creatures that move, the creatures that move along the ground. Okay, if we're reading in Genesis, God is subduing, he's bringing order to the earth. He, he separates the waters and makes skies. He separates the land and sea and he separates light from darkness. He is creating order out of chaos 
an empty and void world. And then he creates mankind and says, I want you to rule over it. We have God and we have this beautiful creation. And how is God going to interact with this creation? Humanity. If you can imagine an artist painting and you're studying every stroke and every way that this artist sees the world and uses the colors and uses the strokes and, and you're studying that artist and then the artist with this canvas partially done, hands over the brush and the colors and says, it's yours. You paint it in my likeness. Humanity takes the brush and the colors and now is given the responsibility to care for, to cultivate, and to make something of God's good creation. Look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, standing between God and his creation, ruling together. Uh, 128. God blesses them. He is a God of blessing. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth. Then he says this. We don't use this word a lot. Subdue it. He tells his image bearers, I want you to rule over this thing. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to multiply, to have multiple image bearers all around the world that are all subduing creation. Well, what in the world does subduing mean? What does it mean to subdue? Well, it's a word that we don't use very often, but it's, it's to bring into order. Actually, the word cosmos in the New Testament is a word for like how a culture is ordered. It kind of is like uh, cosmetics, like the cosmetics that we've brought something into beauty. We've organized in a way that makes it beautiful. So when we look at this and it says subdue, this is what the theologians call the cultural mandate. Like humans could go and say, I made an instrument and now I've pulled the elements of, oh, now you're gonna really understand how much I don't know about music, but tempo I think is something. Notes, chords, all sorts of vibration things that make noise. And those elements are gonna be brought together and subdued and you're gonna get music. The culinary arts are to take these flavors and smells and textures and put them together and put them ordered in a way that is pleasant and beautiful. Some of you are really good at it. Others of you, not so good. <laughs> Architecture and buildings and structures and engineering, all of these things, humanity is sent into the world to create culture. Can you imagine if I'm in the garden and Jesus sends me out to cultivate and subdue and I said, you know what, I threw down these four bases and I got this stick and I whittled it into this thing and when you throw this pine cone at me, I crush that thing and I run around these bases and all of a sudden now I have like brought together a community that is playing a game and people are enjoying it and Jesus shows up and goes, this is so secular. 
Like we have this idea that our work is secular and our coming together and singing praises is sacred. In the garden, all of life, from making a cell phone or a microchip or or an elementary school teacher that is taking these kids that don't know how to raise their hand or, or wait their turn or cut with scissors. And that preschool teacher is subduing humans. Parenting, we're doing the same thing. Discipleship, we're doing the same thing. Government, police officers, first responders going into a, a chaotic scene. I remember my friend Eric McBurney is a firefighter and there was an accident at 44th Street in Thomas at the middle of lunch, and it was like a disaster. And Eric was off duty, and he's like, hold on, Bergs. And he like got out, and he got into the middle of, of the intersection, and he like pointed at everybody, stop. And he told this guy, hey, can you go to that car and make sure that old lady's okay? He went over here and he talked to this person. He says, she's fine, but she needs someone to calm her down. Could you two run down there and start getting cars going this way? And he kind of ordered everybody that wanted to help, and then he stood in the middle, and I'm just in the car, like, watching my friend. He's in street clothes, and he points. He's like, this. (laughs) This way. And he's out there for three minutes, and people are literally driving by like, hey, good job, dude. And apparently nobody had, I'm, I didn't even call 911, I'm just watching in awe. <laughs> and so pretty soon he calls 911, actually doesn't call 911, he calls the station, he's like, where are you guys at? Like, is anyone coming? Nobody's called, so they come out. Anyways, <laughs> he gets back in the car and he's like, I am so sorry, we're going to be late to that lunch. And I was like, dude, you just subdued. <laughs> you just took a chaotic situation and you brought order and harmony and peace to a very strange peace. What about if we saw our work as a way of culture makers, but us as the children of God have the wisdom of God, have the creativity of God, have the the righteousness of God, the ethics of God, and as we create baseball teams and first grade classrooms and technology and children, and all of these things, we are doing it in the likeness of God, and we are creating shalom. We are reweaving together the glory of God in creation for our neighbors. This is what we say in youth. We have this t-shirt, okay? There's a pink spoon. I'm gonna explain that in a sec. That's kind of weird. Then we have this back, and on the back it says sift, It says redemption loves, okay? Like if you go on a project on the youth team and we go out and we subdue somebody's yard, somebody's in trouble, somebody's in a bad situation, we get some teens together and we go out and we put it back in order. And we have this thing, sift, that we say all the time. This is what we teach them. So here's what we do. We are going to subdue this person's yard. We're gonna bring it back into beautiful order. And we're gonna do it as image bearers of God. That means in the likeness of God, we're gonna do it. His character is coming out of us. We are his representatives on earth. And then we're gonna do it not for our good, 
but we're doing this for the good of others, for the good of the neighborhood, for the good of this person that owns this house. And then the last one is, and we're gonna do it not to glorify ourselves and post it all over social media and boast about what an amazing youth group we are. In fact, there's no boasting, no posting. Nobody is ever gonna know that this project even happened. That's why you've never heard of this. We're gonna do this so that God would be glorified. This is what it means to sift. This is what comes out of our purpose from the very beginning in Genesis 1. Now, what about the pink spoon? So, you guys remember Baskin Robbins? All right, are Baskin Robbins still around? Okay. Sorry if you work for Baskin Robbins. Are they still relevant? What is the pink spoon, the little pink spoon? It's just a taste, it's a sample right? That when we do this, when we sift, when we go into the world, whether that's Intel or the city of Chandler or whatever it is, when you go and you sift, you are bringing a sample of the kingdom of God to your neighbors. Like it's not heaven. You don't get to experience all of Rocky Road. You get to experience a taste of Rocky Road. And when you show up to work in the image of God and you bring this shalom, your neighbors in our world, in our communities, in our classrooms, in our families, get to taste the flavor of heaven. They get to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're to be pink spoon people. The second identity, so the first one is you are made in the image of God. The second one comes from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Okay, I'm gonna pause right there. You are chosen for a task. There is privilege in being God's people and being chosen to be the holy nation, God's special possession. But you are also chosen for a position on the team. We are positioned in this world as royal priests. Now, I don't know if you guys know how the priesthood works, but a priest is the one that stands and ministers in between humanity and the God in the temple. That the priest represents God to the people and represents the people to God. As image bearers, we stand between God and the world and God has positioned us here, connected to God and subduing and working in the world. The priesthood is very similar language between God and our neighbors and our world and our community. God has placed you, a priest, to minister his goodness to them and to take their needs to him. This is who we are. When we position ourselves as God and world, and we position ourselves with God, not engaged in the world, but we stand over here and we critique how they subdue the world. Look at the culture. Look at the way they work. Look at them, Look at the, like they're ignorant. And we stand with God. We have forfeited our position that God has given us as image bearers and priests to that world. We're letting them care for creation. 
We're letting them create culture. God has positioned us as his representatives. Let's not forfeit our position. Look what he says. Uh, let's, let's keep on going. Um, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. This is our identity. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And he goes on, uh, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, like you belong to God, but you're out of place in the world. You're exiles, you're foreigners. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. We, as royal priests, live such good lives amongst the godless that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your what? Good deeds. And may glorify God on the day of visitation. The first way we bring shalom into the world is through our good work, subduing in the image of God. The second way is through our good deeds. God has positioned us again. Here's God, here's people, our neighbors, and we are the priests in between. And we're to live such good lives, lives filled with shalomish relationships, that even those that accuse us on the day when Jesus returns might be standing right next to us praising God because of our good deeds. God has a peacemaking mission that has started from the beginning of Genesis and he has called you to participate as his image. He has called you to participate as his priest. The third one is this. He's called you to participate as his ambassadors. We have a foreign exchange student in our youth that just showed up from Spain and I'm looking at this girl and this is not fair to her at all. But I'm like, I wonder what teens in Spain are like. So I'm watching her, and I'm like, oh, that's what teens in Spain are like. Right, in the whole country, they all look like her. (laughs) But she's the only one I have to read. That's where she's a citizen. And she's out of place here in America. And my eyes are on her to go, what is Spain like? That's you. The word ambassador means you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness. You've been transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son. You're a citizen there. They know your name in heaven. The prince of Shalom purchased you. You're there. But now you're an ambassador on earth. Sometimes I think we try and represent our country or our community or our culture more than we're trying to represent the kingdom of God. And when Paul calls himself an ambassador, he says this, pray for me, this is in Ephesians 6, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the good news, the gospel. This is for which I am an ambassador in chains. He is suffering as an ambassador, a citizen of the kingdom of God, in the world, proclaiming good news. I pray that I may declare it fearlessly. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.18, and we'll close with this. It says this, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, he's given us this message of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. We therefore, as Christ's ambassadors, again, citizens of the kingdom, but here on earth, as though you were making his appeal through us, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled. The unbelieving world and the Prince of Shalom, the one that will right our neighbor's world, the one that will right their soul, the one that will forgive their debts, the only chance that our neighbors have at peace And he says, he is making the appeal to those people, be reconciled to God. And he is making that appeal through who? His ambassadors. Are we in our world sharing Jesus Christ with others? Do we care about them experiencing reconciliation with God? Have we forfeited that identity and that position on the team in the world? God is on a mission. He has been since the beginning to fill the world with image bearers that are creating culture in God's likeness, reweaving together the world that once will be. Pink spoon people. And he's called you And he hasn't just called you, he purchased you with his blood so that you will be his priest and do good deeds for the world to see the goodness of God and that you will be his ambassadors that will share good news of reconciliation with God. This is who we are. This is where we belong between God and the world. And this is our purpose. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful uh, to be washed by your blood, to be forgiven of our sins, and to be reconciled to you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would drive these identities, your image, your priests, and your ambassadors. Lord, drive that image so deep, drive that identity so deep into us. God, that we begin to live out of it, positioned between you and the world, doing good work, doing good deeds, and bringing good news. And Lord, we pray through this that our church would be shalomish and that we would be agents of shalom in our world. We pray in Christ's name, amen.